Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy, and this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, episode 66, Looking Ahead. We do live in interesting times, and they're unprecedented times. So it's probably a good time to start looking forward. As we move into new frontiers, riding on the back of new technologies, and hoping we will learn from history and not do the same dumb and dopey things again and again. Dear Cheap Astronomy, How will we exploit the solar system? Well, we're the human race. Exploiting natural resources is what we do. What guides the way that we do it is consumer demand, access and cost. For aesthetic reasons, we adore silver and gold, which aren't that easy to find, so their cost is high. There was a time when aluminium was considered more valuable than gold or silver, but then someone figured out a low-cost way of extracting it from bauxite, which suddenly made it readily accessible to everyone, and so the price plummeted, and now we mostly use aluminium for building materials and for making soft drink cans. Nonetheless, aluminium is a key component of a whole range of infrastructure and materials technologies, so it actually has enormous economic value, but it is in no way treasured by individual humans, apart from people chasing recycling refunds. They just love the stuff. These considerations are key to understanding the economics of exploiting the solar system. And we need to decide if we want to take over the solar system with astronauts or robots. If it's astronauts, the most valuable commodity out there will be water, since we won't get far without it. But if we take over the solar system with robots, then water is mostly irrelevant, and the robots will be focused on collecting economically valuable materials, particularly rare earth metals, which are rare here, but might not be out there. As we've previously discussed on Cheap Astronomy, extraterrestrial mining requires not only finding a rock full of the stuff you want, but you'll also need to extract that stuff from the rock. To manage that extraction effectively, you'll need factory and processing infrastructure, and you'll almost certainly need gravity since most extraction techniques involve separating dense heavy stuff from fluffy light stuff. So Cheap Astronomy's suggestion has always been CSOTM, crash on the moon, after which you transport the ore-rich rubble over to your lunar-based factory refinery. After you've extracted the desired materials, you may still have to launch them off the moon, but you've only got 0.16g to fly against, and you are flying a much smaller refined mass. Our moon really is the best stepping stone into space that we could have asked for. So our first steps in exploiting the solar system will be to build a frontier mining town on the moon, maybe with some primitive accommodation for adventurous tourists, while we start accumulating building materials both from the moon and from space, allowing us to build a proper space hotel and start a booming tourist business. 
And meanwhile, all that mining should start a lucrative delivery stream back to Earth of refined rare elements. Even if we're not all still using smartphones in the 22nd century, we'll be depending on some kind of portable devices that will contain rare earth metals. So that's your commercial basis for solar system resource exploitation, while you're also making megabucks from hosting tourists in safe and comfortable accommodation that is in space, but still only three days from home. The formula for Mars doesn't work out so well. Sure, you're closer to the asteroid belt, but the planet has more gravity and has some atmosphere that you can't breathe, but does still create resistance to both landings and launches. And of course, you are very isolated from Earth. So we should certainly focus on the Moon as our first step. If we can't exploit a celestial body that's just three days away, with one-sixth G, no atmosphere, some potential water sources, and an abundance of solar energy, well, we should just give up now. The idea that we'll keep waiting around until someone invents warp speed and then zip off to colonise Earth 2.0 is just a pipe dream. Our way forward into space will be long, hard, slow, and hugely dependent on technology. So, like we always say at Cheap Astronomy, if you want Homo sapiens to be a space-faring species, stay in school, work hard, be good, and pay your taxes. If you happen to get a job at NASA, Roscosmos, ESA, ISRO, CNSA, JAXA, or even the Israeli, New Zealand, Canadian, or Australian space agencies, well, that's just great. But if you don't... Please still work hard, be good, and pay your taxes. That's what will really get us there. This is the middle bit. So, the future does look bright, unless, of course, there's some enormous and unexpected calamity that changes the world as we know it. But come on, what's the likelihood of that? Dear Cheap Astronomy, Small Astronomy Joke here. Apophis will fly by Earth in April 2029 on Friday the 13th. Yep, it's true. The Big Bad, 99942 Apophis, will do its long-awaited flyby less than 10 years from now in 2029. And yes, it's in April. And yes, it's on the 13th. And yes, that's a Friday. Given humanity's obsession with extracting meaning from arbitrary numbers, there's no doubt this concordance will be remarked upon for many years to come. But it does usefully draw everyone's attention to the fact that there are some very big rocks out there that move very fast and sometimes come very close. It is reassuring to know that we are now totally confident that Apophis will just skim the outer perimeters of the space that's occupied by our geostationary satellites, and it will then just keep on going. This absolute knowledge of a future event shows that we are really taking the whole asteroid impact thing seriously. All we have to do now is start taking the whole climate change thing seriously, and get all the plastic out of the oceans, and save the last rhinos and polar bears and pangolins, as well as the last Kiwis and Numbats, for that matter. 
But anyway, there was a genuine concern back in 2004, which is just 15 years ago, that 99942 Apophis was on a trajectory with enough variance to include a 3% chance that it might actually hit the Earth in 2029. Astronomers then went to work on nailing down with exacting precision what the trajectory of Apophis really was. So we now know there's absolutely zero chance it will hit the Earth in 2029. If you're interested, on Friday the 13th of April 2029, Apophis should be visible to the naked eye for anyone who's on the night side of Earth as it passes over, and it really will just pass over. As we've previously discussed on Cheap Astronomy, Apophis's 2029 flyby will introduce a few uncertainties about its future orbit that brings it back towards Earth in 2036. But we're already pretty confident it will only have a 1 in 45,000 chance of hitting Earth in 2026. But given there is a very tiny risk of something happening within our lifetimes, Just how bad is that risk, really? Firstly, it's unlikely that Apophis would have wiped out the dinosaurs. It could have killed a lot of them, at least in Mexico, but Apophis is a bit less than a kilometre wide, while the Chicxulub impact object was probably over 10 kilometres wide. The size, or more importantly the mass of something, means a lot when you're about to be hit in the face by it. And when you're dealing with large asteroids, the difference between 1 kilometre wide and 10 kilometres wide means a lot more than just one order of magnitude. At those large scales, gravity becomes an issue. So a kilometre wide asteroid might just be a closely packed rubble pile, but a 10 kilometre wide asteroid will be a solid, dense and downright nasty block of mass extinction badness. We know the mass of Apophis is 27 billion kilograms, which translates to about 3 times 10 to the 12th kilograms. We think the Chicxulub impactor was something like 3 times 10 to the 16th kilograms. So while its diameter might have been 10 times as big as Apophis, its mass might have been 10,000 times as big. We really just don't know. The devastation caused by a boloid which might be an asteroid or it might be a comet, depends on its angle of deflection, its composition, which might be ice, carbon or metal, and where it actually hits, which might be land, ice or water. Different dynamics and different chemistries will come into play with each of those variant possibilities. Of course, a totally unexpected object might suddenly appear out of the interstellar nowhere on a direct trajectory with Earth. But really, nothing can just appear out of nowhere these days. We are scanning the skies pretty intently, and even an interstellar object can only move so fast, so we are likely to have months, if not years, to prepare. And it's likely we will prepare, not with some half-baked Bruce Willis option, but with a fully-fledged, scientifically plausible option. That probably means we'll end up doing something like sending a robot to fire paintballs at it, and then just wait six months for the Yarkovsky effect to kick in. That is the sort of solution you're going to get if you put scientists in charge.
This is the end bit. So, there you go. There was probably a time when the dinosaurs thought that everything was going just great and look forward to even better times ahead. It's likely that with the advantage of technology, we can keep making new stuff to help us take the next step forward. We should just try to take with us the lessons from the past, since those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it. But that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question, or you just want to introduce some uncertainties into our future trajectory, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com and we'll model the parameters for you. Thanks for listening. Steve Nellick, Cheap Astronomy.